0: so um so those of you who've been around the last couple of weeks, uh you will have heard us. we've been talking about what the Word is, what God has been saying to us and speaking to us, and we really sense this year uh that one of the things God is wanting us to do as a people and as individuals is grow up. It's just grow up uh, that's it, and it's really to mature it's to mature in our faith and mature in our relationship with Jesus but together as a people that we would do that. And that's going to look differently to each one of us. And one of the ways that I have sensed God has been speaking to me and I think encouraging me, challenging me on, is, is this whole area of, of how much I read and how well I teach the Bible. And I'm just being honest with you. Okay, that's me, so I'm setting the example. That's just one of the things that I felt God has been pressing me on over the while, and um, I, I, I was going to say it 's two weeks ago, but i, I didn 't but i 'm nineteen days into it now, so i 'm going to share it now. One of the things that i 've s- chosen to do is to is to read the Bible in one year, which I attempted last year and failed miserably and so i 'm telling you now after nineteen days that we 're on course and we 're going good in fact i 've been so disciplined in that and enjoying that so much it's as i 've been more disciplined about that than my exercise regime, which is absolutely fantastic. In fact, I read the Bible whilst actually on an exercise bike, which is absolutely brilliant. Killing two birds with one stone and highly, highly recommend that to you. But those of you who know, the way that we teach, the style that we usually teach when we, when we teach in church is, uh, is a style which we call thematic, which means that we take a theme, we look at life, and we think, okay, what is it that faces our individual lives? And let's teach on that and let's apply what the Bible teaches into that situation. That's called thematic. The opposite or an alternative way is what, we, what is known as expository, which is really what does the Bible say and then how does the Bible interpret into today's society. It's a little bit like doing it the other way around. And they're just the two sort of ways. And, and we will naturally lean towards the thematic way of teaching. And I don't actually think there's a right or a wrong way of doing it as long as the Bible is taught and as long as our lives change, right? So, but our natural choice is usually thematic. And, and I have just been challenged. Before Christmas, I thought the law was saying, you know, let's, let's try. Let's just change that slightly. And I think for a season uh, in a more expository sort of term. And that is to, to look really, really at the individual passages of scripture. And, uh, and kind of unpack that and see how that applies. So if you have a Bible today, please would you turn to Leviticus chapter 1 and we're going to dive right in there and uh, we're in Ephesians. So uh, we're in the New Testament, please uh, turn to the book of Ephesians and it is just a fabulous, I mean it's an easy one to have a go at, right? Those of you who know a bit about your Bible and you've read it, uh, we're going to look at this thing called Paul's letter to the Ephesians but before we do, it's important that we kind of unpack just a bit ...of its context. Before we read it and before we unpack verses, let's look at just the context of it. First of all, it is a letter. It was a letter written to the church, or the church is, in a town called Ephesus... ...which, is, uh, which was a Greek colony, but is now in modern-day Turkey. And uh, like all of the books that Paul uh, is credited to, credited to in the New Testament, they were all letters... There were letters written to people in the places where he had been and where he had established churches. And uh, the book, really, of Ephesians is try and picture this, and this will really help you over the coming weeks to picture this analogy. It's a bit like in the olden days before we had digital photos, where you would take a photograph. And then it would be placed into a dark room and that solution, and eventually the picture kind of emerges. Or try and picture it—the uh, what are those cameras called? You used to take it, and it used to—a Polaroid. Thank you, a Polaroid picture. You take it. That's the—that's what's been pictured. That's what's been captured. And over time, it kind of develops into the very thing. And and really, the Book of Ephesians is that—it's about the picture is being made alive in Christ. But also the book, as we go through the book, it tells us, it gives us snippets of how we actually develop the picture so that we become the picture that God intended, right? I'm going to use phrases like God's original design this morning. God's original design, that photograph that he took, that he intended when he first made us before the creation of the world, that's God's original picture. That was when it was taken And Ephesians just gives us some real highlights as to how uh, we develop. Uh, A major aspect of this letter is about the local church being a beacon of hope for our towns in the world. And Bill Hybels, you might have heard this before, the local church is the hope for the world. The local church is the hope for the world. The local church is the hope for Carrickfergus. The local churches. In Carrickfergus, other hope for Carrickfergus. And we would become beacons of light. And that we would reveal God's intention, his kingdom, here on earth, as it is in heaven now. Um, there's just a few pictures of what it looks like now on a map. I like maps. Those of you who know me, you know that I love a good map. Um, it was a Greek colony. This is, uh, this is Ephesus. It was the capital city of Roman Proconsular Asia. It was a powerful cosmopolitan place. It was the headquarters of a cult called Artemis. Uh, It was a thriving commercial center. And it was the place where Paul stopped on his return from Jerusalem, having been in Corinth on his second of four long missionary trips, which lasted three years. When he stopped in Ephesus, he spoke boldly for three months in a Jewish synagogue, He then moved to a lecture theatre where he spent the next two years establishing the church and preaching the word of God. And many became Christians at that time. He invested a lot of time and energy there with the church. Many believed, but he also warned of false teachers in that place. The letter, this letter that we're about to read, was written probably six to eight years after he had been there. Okay, And it was believed that he wrote this letter whilst he was in prison in Rome. Uh, The church had a rocky road and Paul encouraged Timothy to stay there. The church prevailed but lost its first love as you read about in Revelation. The population of the town or the city was was roughly estimated at 250,000 people. So it's a big place. Today, the church in Ephesus, as it was... Is no longer, which is really sad, eh? The message of the letter really is this: In Him we have every spiritual blessing, and in Him and through Him uh, we are made into one entity, which is the Church. The Church is the visual aid; it's the picture of God uh, has done in the heavenly realms. And in the end point of history, it is the church, the church that is redeemed from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue would come together for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, there's a few other things there, which we're just going to move on. Okay, let's dive in. Chantel.
1: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight.
0: goodness me, that is rich. That is like a steak on a plate right there. And that you're reading that, you're like, oh my word, there's so much language. There's so many words. I don't quite get them. And really after his initial introduction, it's just one long sentence. You kind of think, my goodness, when are you going to come up for a breath? And when you read that as a person, you could go, oh, cool, that's nice. Stick the Bible down and go about a, your, your daily life. And you kind of miss so much of the richness and the goodness of what God has for you, and yet it is rich with Christian doctrine, and as best as I can, making it as palatable as possible this morning. Uh, it will get better. By the way, this is going to be this is this is theological, uh, just deep, rich doctrine stuff, and I'm going to try and make it, like I said, as best as I can. It will, I think, get better as time goes on. Um, that's kind of me setting myself up for this is going to be boring and a bit of a lecture. It's not, let's, uh, let's hope it's not anyway. So here's the initial bit. Paul, an apostle to Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people and Ephesus, the faithful in Christ pray grace and peace be yours. It's an interesting way to starting a letter, isn't it? First of all he says, Paul, an apostle, blah, 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 blah. Today, if we were to write a letter we might write Dear John or to Susie or hi Steve but he writes this in Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God Paul is the apostle the ascent one Paul the one who previously lived there amongst you it's me guys it's me and I'm writing to you God's holy people God's holy people because Ephesus was a really pagan society. It was a place where all kinds of stuff went on. And he was writing to the holy people there. And he offers these words, grace and peace to you. Now, again, in our context, we might write, dear John, how are you? How you doing, mate? Or let's put it even more into context, bout ye. That sounds dreadful, doesn't it? Eh? that's right up there with more and more. Give is anyone from Belfast can do that one a bit better? Thank you, yeah, go on, go on, Brian, give it some. What about you, big lad? That's what it would be. It would be, uh, uh, you know, how you doing or that sort of thing. Here we go. Praise be to the God of uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus, uh, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. The heavenly realms, what it speaks of here, are the principalities and the powers. And the principalities and the powers is where Jesus is the head, where Jesus is the king, where he reigns in us and over us in every single sphere of where Jesus is at. It's where Jesus is. It's it's the kingdom where Jesus is the king. And Paul is therefore saying, praise God, we worship you. Because in every place where Jesus is, in my life and in our society, both now and for the rest of eternity. And he says, in Christ, in Jesus, we lack no spiritual blessing. Everything that we need is in him. Everything. Everything that we need now and for our life is in him and found in him And we go to for him. Regardless of situation. Regardless of circumstance. Regardless of what our bank balance says. Or our job situation. Or our relational situation looks like. In him we have everything. He is the answer. He is the missing piece in our lives. He is the way in. He is the way through. And he is the way out. He is the truth and he is the one who gives us life, meaning both now and for the rest of eternity. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You have it there in front of you, I don't need to read it again. Before the fall. Fall means that time what we read about when sin entered into the world. Before the fall, God's intention was for a people, for a people that would be perfected in Christ, a loved people and a people who loved. And it was therefore not about those who chose to love God, it was rather we being made in his image that we would simply be a people who were holy and blameless. It was his intention. Go back to the picture analogy. When he created us, it was about creating a people that were holy and blameless before him, that would love him. It was predestined. It happened uh, way before we even came around. This is God's original design. It's the picture that was taken. He is therefore making a people who will present eternity to the world here and now. But this people will not necessarily relate out of duty but as his children. The concept of sonship was something given to a person who was a Jew and they would understand that. That was just part of their ways as a Jew. They understood that their right and their privilege in society was this thing as a son and that they were God's inheritance. The concept of adoption was possibly for the benefits of the Gentiles who were there. So let's try and understand this. In Ephesus, we have both Jew and Gentile in that place. And so when Paul teaches as a Jew to the Jews, but mainly Gentiles, he's speaking on two strands here to two groups of people. Either way, this people that Paul is talking about, that he's writing about, is a people that will be holy and blameless. And it was for both the Jew and Gentile. Now, we now live in a stage of human history And the tense of the verbs that we read about here begin to change. In the past, God has chosen us. He has predestined us. But now, because of Christ, we have two things. We have redemption and we have forgiveness. And they are present realities to those of us who are Christians. Now, the word redemption has several meanings. We could kind of, I typed it up into... Uh, The dictionary and all kinds of stuff came up, but these ones, I think, really help us to understand what it actually means, redemption. It means to repurchase as of something sold. So one of the things that's boomed in recent times um, is the whole porn industry, not the naked one, but the other one. And I know you kind of say it slightly differently, but the one where we take something that's of value and that we take it and we get and we receive money. And if you choose to get back what you put into the pawn shop, you have to actually repay it. Paying off as of a mortgage or a bond or a note is another description, another way for us to understand what it means uh, for redemption or recovery by payment as of something pledged. Each of these descriptions... Implies a process of paying back something that's owed. Now, we have a mortgage on a house, as I'm sure many of us here do. It's a debt, it's something that is owed, and it's something that we are paying back, and we are gradually over time redeeming, and someday, hopefully, it will be ours and it's paid back. Now, The redemption that we're speaking about here comes through the blood of Jesus, the one perfect sacrifice once and for all for the forgiveness of sins. And it's really that. That's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? Goodness, this country is absolutely brilliant about talking about sin and brilliant about, you know, you've got to turn or burn and all that sort of stuff. Well, one of the key things that we understand at the heart of the gospel is the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary, for our sin. Let's go back to the mortgage. The mortgage is paid off and is returned, is redeemed through the currency of the pound. Because it's the currency that we use to transact here uh, in Northern Ireland. Now, we need to understand that redemption... Our debts, the things that we do, the things that we mess up, and the wrong choices that we make, that we are redeemed, that redemption comes through one currency, and that currency is the blood of Jesus. That is it. We pay mortgages off with pounds, we pay sin off with blood, and the blood comes only The only way we can get there is through the blood of Jesus. So the note of good works doesn't pay it off. The coin of trying harder and being more disciplined, that's not going to do it. The religious confessing over and over again, oh, I've done it again, I've done it. That's not going to do it. The self-harming, the self-medicating, the self-striving, that's not going to get you there either. It's only through the blood of Jesus. And if you forget everything out of this this morning, remember just one thing. Stop trying yourself. Because you can't do it. You can't repay it. You cannot redeem it. It's only through the blood of Jesus. I read this quote this week. It says this, It seems the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin." But the more I think about just loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. Falling in love seems to be the key. That's it. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why we spend that time. We take the focus off ourselves. We take the focus off everything else that's crowding in for our attention. The minute we wake up, we switch on the TV, the, we stick on the radio, we have a conversation, we have a thought, we, we we see something on our, it's just grabbing our attention, grabbing our attention, grabbing our attention. The only way is through loving Jesus, by putting our attention on him, on him, on him. I know we know that stuff. Let's pause for thought before we move on, staying on this theme of redemption, that we're in danger of making this thing that we call personal relationship with Jesus to personal, right? So if we get locked into this thing where it's just about me and him, we're in danger because it was never intended. It was always intended for community. It was always about redemption of of all of us as a community. It is about individuals. This does speak about individuals, but let's not get caught up that it's just about self. It's about all of us. And I've just put on there four words. Uh, renewal, revival, restoration and redemption and I think for a long time now we as the church, we love this word renewal renewal really simply means God's blessing amongst his believers and we love it that when we worship he shows up we love it when we pray for each other and God's kingdom comes in as his Holy Spirit empowers us we absolutely love that stuff and we're going to do that soon right? that's called renewal now, it's not enough for it just to stay in this room. And so we move on to the next level, which we know is revival, which is when God's blessing comes amongst unbelievers. And boy, would we want to see God's spirit poured out amongst those that don't yet know Jesus. And he's inviting and calling us to go do that stuff. That's fantastic. And I think, I sense that we're on the beginning of doing that as a congregation, as a people. The next level is restoration, that as people that don't yet know Jesus, experience his presence, experience his power, are just so taken by his amazing grace and his love for us, that gradually their lives become restored as ours are being restored. But that's still not enough. That's not God's original design. That's not the photograph that was taken before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, his intention was a people of every tribe and every tongue of every nation that we would all love him. And that comes in redemption. And redemption simply is complete and utter reset to God's original design. And that is the place and that is the goal and that is what we're striving for as a people in this town is that we would see God's kingdom come, that we would see restoration in people's lives but ultimately redemption, that there is no pain, that there is no suffering, that there's no one taking advantage of one another, there is no crime, that there is no mental health, there is none of that stuff. But we're a long way off and that's God's original design. And it's called redemption. You are the picture of the future. That's us. That's us as a church. So right now, we as his people, we're the picture demonstrated to the future that people uh, would look towards. Here we see the word mystery. And it's not used simply to imply something that cannot be understood or known but rather has not yet been disclosed. But it says here that Paul says that the mystery, this hidden secret, has been made known to us according to his good pleasure. We know the mystery. We know the heart of where he's at. This mystery is to bring unity to all in heaven and on earth under one headship, and that is Christ. The earthly realm, the period, the time and the place in which this was written, was for the two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, as I mentioned earlier. I appreciate this morning, loads of this is sort of doctrine sort of stuff, right? But let's not move on, but, and let's just pause for a minute as we look at that. Paul is talking as a Jew, mainly to Gentiles, but Jews as well, Where together, the gospel, relationship with God, God's original design, is for both people groups. And let's not move on from here without acknowledging what that looks like for this place, for this nation, in terms of Protestant and Catholic. When Jesus comes again for the bride, we sung about that, didn't we, earlier? He's beautiful. Yes, he's beautiful. Yes, he's gonna come for the bride. Now, he's not gonna come back for the Protestant church. Likewise, he's not gonna come back for the Catholic church. He's not gonna come back for the Presbyterians or the Baptists or the vineyards. He's gonna come back for his bride and they're the people that know and love Jesus. And that includes both Protestant and Catholic for us in our situation, in our community. It's one and for all. And this picture that we talk about, it's one, one tribe, one nation, under one head, and that is Jesus. You'll notice in this passage, as we're coming into land, um, that I've highlighted the we and the you and the our. And the we simply refers to the Jewish people, of which Paul was one. And he's saying, we were the chosen. The Jews were the first hope in Christ. They were God's inheritance and they were his people. But what is amazing and extraordinary is that through the gospel, the revealed mystery of Christ, the Gentiles are also now included. The Gentiles basically were anyone who weren't Jewish, of which many of us are a Gentile. And Paul, therefore, refers to them in this passage that you see there, as "you." But as he comes into land, he uses the word "our." "Our," guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Our inheritance. We were included right before history. He chose to reveal himself to a group of people, a nation which were established through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob and all the rest way back in Genesis. They were God's special people but ultimately we're all God's special people. And it says this, that you believed and you were marked with the promised Holy Spirit And those of you who are a Christian, those of you who at some point have made some sort of decision, you surrender your life and you are asking simply that Jesus would take up residency, that he would be welcomed into your home, into your heart, into your very soul and it's in that place that he deposits his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit that lives in each of us. And I thank God. I thank him. I thank Jesus that before he ascended to be with the Father, that he promised us his Holy Spirit. He said, wait, guys, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to come. it's going to come and he's going to reveal to you the thing. He's going to reveal to you the Father and the Son. And he's going to teach you and he's going to lead you. And he's going to empower you. And he's going to set you free. And I just love the Holy Spirit. And I can see from your faces that I am well done, because you are well done, and that's absolutely fine, because we're moving into a time where we're just going to worship Him, and then give space for us to welcome the Holy Spirit, that we would encounter Him more. And um, there we go, Phyllis, Phil, why don't you come?